I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode 25 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. The podcast is about authentic guests sharing stories, how they've embraced both the shadows and the light that results from life experiences, vulnerabilities, successes, and giving insights, hope, and maybe a smile to the women and men listening to the podcast. It's being listened to in Australia, the USA, Canada, Ireland, and Russia, from what I've heard, and it's broadcast broadcast across eight platforms. I'm a life coach and I'm here in Noosa. Uh, I began the podcast back in February this year, intrigued by so many stories I hear in coaching. Now our brains are literally boxes full of stories and like everything to me, why keep things in a box or a cupboard or on a shelf when it can be given or shared for the benefit of yourself or for others? So by way of preparation, I share a great long list of questions with each guest after I've had a first chat with them uh, for them to contemplate and choose from. And that seems to have benefited a lot of the guests they've said so far that it might be ones that they enjoy contemplating and answering or that help ease the chat along a particular message or theme they want to share or it could be just something that's outside the square. So today's guest was a referral by a previous guest by Megan Delton, who was on only a few episodes ago. And that's very exciting to to get a referral. And I can understand why, having had the opportunity to meet and chat with her this past week. So this week's guest is Anne Harrop from here in Noosa. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thanks, Susan. Thanks for having me. Hey, no, it's, it's lovely to um to get to have our, our bigger chat today. So what I was thinking I was doing, I might just do a little intro because a lot of what we're going to cover is part of, you know, the the, the episode itself. So what I was just going to say is when Anne and I got to meet over the phone last week, she asked, what do I know about her? And I thought, oh, only what Megan Delton said that, you know, you're an inspiring guest um, to have on the podcast with a very good heart. So I thought, oh, that's intriguing. So we had a chat further and I got to learn that by way of a brief background, Anne was Australia's first female high commissioner to South Africa and also Botswana, Mozambique, Namibia, Swaziland, Lesotho, and the ambassador to to Angola. In 2013, Anne retired from foreign affairs and she established her own consultancy centred around leadership and diplomacy, training and workshops. But Anne is here now in Noosa. She's had a sea change, as we all do, and she's been the former member of the board of the trustees of Brisbane Girls Grammar School, and she's currently sharing herself and her time as the president of the board of Noosa Care in Tawantan and up at Karoi. So back in those days when that was what Anne's role was, I wouldn't have just said welcome to the podcast, Anne. It would have been more appropriate for me to say welcome to the podcast, Your Excellency. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're not so formal right now, though, so we'll, we'll stick with Anne today. But Fair I think, enough. Anne, how about we, with, with that, I mean, it's intriguing to me because obviously I've never actually come across someone who's the first female High Commissioner, um, that we talk about that and you know, how did you get started on that journey to become that in that role in South Africa? What does that all mean? So if you could share some of that with us. Sure. So uh, I did arts law at uh, university and I was always going to be a journalist. But I took a year off after I'd finished my degrees and I went hitchhiking in Africa, which is obviously not something I advocate that young women do these days, but uh, but it was the 90s and a a different time. 
And I was standing on the side of the road just outside of Cape Town and I was picked up by an Australian diplomat. And I went and lived at her house for a couple of days. And, of course, as you do, you get talking or what is it that a a diplomat does. And I realised actually there are a lot of similarities between diplomacy and journalism. So you need to be curious and be interested in people, like to ask questions, like to tell a story. And so when I'd finished my backpacking, I came back to Australia and I applied for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade because that's where most of our diplomats come from, that, that public service department. And it takes a little while to uh, go through the whole process because you've got to do lots of security interviews and uh, general knowledge exams and international relations tests. But uh, after that process, I, uh, I was accepted as one of the graduates and I joined the department in 1992. And then my first posting as a junior diplomat was actually back to South Africa and I ended up living in the house that I'd stayed in as a backpacker a couple of years earlier. Uh, and then sort of over the next uh, 15 years or so, I had overseas postings uh, in London, in the UK, uh, in Iraq, uh, in Papua New Guinea. And then, uh, yeah, as you said, in, in 2008, I was posted as Australia's first female High Commissioner to South Africa and those six other Southern African countries. And, uh, and of course, having spent so much time there over my life, it was interesting for me to go back in that more senior role and see how much had changed and, and I guess, how much hadn't. Okay, yeah. And was it a risky type of position to be in, in terms of, you know, personal risk? Oh, I mean, it's a, it is a high-risk security environment, but uh, you get trained in, in how, to, how to manage that and, uh, and obviously we don't um, put Australian officials uh, at, at risk without taking appropriate appropriate measures. So I never I never challenged in any way by that, but you had to be sensible and, and take sensible precautions. Yeah. Was there any um would what would you call pinch me moments that you had in the time in your role? Uh well I mean I've been incredibly privileged and and lucky to have met some amazing, interesting people in my life in some stunning, beautiful locations. So when you wake up uh, at Richard Branson's Game Lodge in South Africa and you're looking out over the plains at at Rhino and and Giraffe and then you go and have lunch with the man himself, that's that's pretty special. But, um, But I think there are probably... There are actually probably two pinch-me moments that, that come to mind, and the first was uh, meeting Nelson Mandela, and I was very lucky to actually have met him twice uh, in my career, and the first time was actually when I was a, a junior diplomat, and uh, South Africa had just passed their first ever democratic constitution, and the South African government was hosting a reception to say thank you to the international community. And for some reason, the High Commissioner couldn't go, and so I was representing Australia at that function, and and President Mandela was walking down the line of of ambassadors and High Commissioners and stopping and greeting everybody and shaking their hands, and of course, they were all saying, oh, congratulations on the passing of the Constitution. And of course, I'm thinking, come up with something original to to say, be be creative, and of course, I could think of, of nothing. So I said exactly the same thing that everybody else had said, congratulations on the passing of the Constitution. And, you know, he 
he looked at me as if that was the most interesting thing he had heard all night, as if I was the only person to have come up with something so interesting, as if I was the only person in the room. You know, he just he just made me feel really special and and then and from then on I would have I wouldn't have done anything for him. And it was a real lesson for me in terms of uh, how, to, how to take someone with you on, on your journey is you make them feel part of that journey and you make them feel special, and, and he certainly did. So that that's a pretty pinch-me moment. And I guess the second one was uh, observing South Africa's first democratic elections in 1994. And I think I'd still... I still pinch myself about that, particularly at a time when we're having lots of elections around the world in democracies, so in the US, you know, here, here in Queensland, um, ours coming up soon. And, you know, we moan about the fact that we've got to go and vote and uh, we whinge about the quality of the candidates and the standard of political debate and, and all of those sorts of things. And yet, in 1994, I watched Black South standing queues for hours, for days, in order to be able to exercise their vote for the very first time. So I think we take it for granted and we forget the value of our democratic choice, whereas Mm. for many South Africans at that time it had been a matter of life and death. And so, yeah, each time I go and vote I I reflect on that and I, I pinch myself about it. Yeah, yeah, that right, isn't it? That yeah, we, we maybe do take for granted. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I suppose we've never been in a situation, or for many of us, we've never been in in the sort of situation where um, we have to fight for it. And uh, and I just feel incredibly lucky that that we don't have to, but uh, mm-hmm. that to have seen the just the dignity with which uh, those South Africans approached that that choice that had, had taken so long to win, I guess, was uh, was pretty special. Oh, well, yeah, I could imagine, yeah. Um, were there any um, great achievements that you had, the, you know, the, the most important to you, say, from the time in all those years that you were the High Commissioner? Uh, so um, I think if I was doing this as a, uh, as a television interview or, or for promotion, I'd... Uh, I'd highlight a lot of professional achievements like you know, advancing Australia's business and investment interests uh, in a way that helped the Australian economy or securing seven votes when Australia uh, made a bid for the UN Security Council, getting those uh, seven African countries to vote for us, uh, or helping to secure uh, or provide a safe environment for the thousands of Australians who came to South Africa to uh, watch the 2010 Soccer World Cup. I guess I'd highlight all of those, but if I actually think about what's what was most important to me during my time there, I would say um, the work that we did to assist our local engaged staff, so our South African employees, um, many of whom came from disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, they were the sole breadwinner in often large extended families and just to sort of see the impact on their lives through the uh, education and employment opportunities that we were able to provide for them was was pretty special. And I, I, I remember one fellow in particular, his name was Leonard, and I first met him when he was a waiter 
but he was, you know, he was engaging and gregarious. And uh, and so we asked him to apply for the position of household manager at the official residence. Because as you can imagine, you know, you actually have to hold lots of events and lots of functions and lots of lunches in order to advocate for Australia's interests. And so to have someone who was able to organise all of that uh, and he applied for the job and, and got it, and, and I can assure you, he organised me within an inch of my life uh, over <laughs> the, the next the next few few months. But then a, a second position came up as the uh, high commissioner's driver, and again we needed someone with discretion and integrity, and and who was organised. And Leonard applied for that, and, and he got the job easily. Uh, and then there was a position of administrative clerk at the High Commission, and, and again, Leonard applied for that and, and got it. And I just, I think about the impact that those promotions had on him as a person. You know, he became much more self-confident and, and outgoing. I mean, he was, he was gregarious anyway, but just his level of personal confidence really changed, and, and the impact obviously on him his family and to, to see that. So all those professional things are, are important to me, sure, but uh, but to have just seen the change that we were able to make in the lives of our staff, that was, yeah. that was very special. Um, and with, in thinking in that, like I always talk about the ripple effect, so it wouldn't have just been a, a ripple out as far as, as his own family. That would have gone out quite a fair way into his community, wouldn't it, for him to have been in that position? Oh, absolutely, because as I said, uh, you know, a lot of them did come from disadvantaged backgrounds, so in their communities they might have been the only person that had a, a regular full-time job. Uh, and so obviously, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough gig for a lot of them because they're having to watch what happens to their money because there's a lot of people with a, a demand on that. But it was more about, um, you know, the, the status that they could have in the community, the way in which others came and to them or sought their advice or, um, you know, spoke to them about addressing some of their own challenges. And I think mm -hmm. someone like Leonard was absolutely able to do that in his own community. Yeah. And just even the impact, I think even further, sort of gives you a bit goosebumps, doesn't it? Like the impact it would have had on the youth of their community to see that that was something that was possible to achieve. Yeah, something, something to aspire to because, yeah, I mean, the youth unemployment uh, certainly back then, and, I'm, and I know it's pretty similar now in South Africa, is, is well over 60%. So, you know, to have role models in the community uh, is something that's really important for for South African youth. And, yeah, people like Leonard are able to to provide that, able to demonstrate what can happen if you if you apply yourself, if you um, if you give a commitment to, uh, to an employer, those sorts of things. I think it was really, yeah, very important. Yeah, it's a bit of the who are the people in your neighbourhood sort of scenario, isn't it? Even, you know, you said me coming across you just by having spoken to Megan and Megan then mentioning your name that, you know, we don't realise that, you know, you are in our community. So, and you've been a role model um, in terms of your board position that you had with the school, with the girls. I know that you talked about that, about, you know, talking that, to them about, you know, what is it they actually want to achieve and what they're going to do, isn't it, more so with what their status is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, it's in, it's important for those of us who've had experiences or uh, have some professional expertise that we're able to to share to help others that we that we do that. Um, 
you know, one of the things people often say, well, what, what advice would you give to the to young girls uh, and or uh, young people, and particularly at, at times of, of crisis or of challenge? And I would say, well, actually think about uh, all the people that are in your networks, in your communities, what resources, other resources can you draw on? I mean, I've spent my whole professional career uh, building coalitions, establishing connections so that you can exert influence and achieve a particular outcome. But I think it's also a useful exercise in one's personal life as well too because, mm. um, you know, there are very few things in life that, that you should do by yourself or that you need to do by yourself. And so uh, particularly for young people, reflect on the fact that there's probably someone who's been there before you and and tried that and, and might have been a success or might have been a failure or had some ideas about how you can can address particular challenges. But reach out. Don't be afraid to, to sort of ask the question. And I, I suppose that's that's how I try to, to be giving back now is to um, to be able to offer that to, to people who are interested. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, all, see all the resources that are out there. They, they are there, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, um, before we finish up on what you were talking about in terms of your title, um, were there any common myths or comments that you heard that you know, make you smile or make you shake your head about having had that um, position with such title? Well, I think everybody thinks when they hear High Commissioner or Diplomat, they just think cocktail parties, that, uh, that that's, that's all, we, all we do. And, uh, and there are a lot of cocktail parties, I, I can assure you. But um, I think if people knew how much uh, hard work they are, because you're always working the room, you're always trying to, trying to get an outcome, and, uh, and in fact how boring many of them are, uh, they wouldn't be envious about <laughs> wouldn't be envious about it at all. <laughs> um, but I but I also think there's a bit of a misperception out there that you uh, that you need a title you need a title like high commissioner or prime minister or school captain uh, in order to actually be able to make a contribution to your community or to your society and. You know, I'm not saying that uh, that you shouldn't be ambitious, and if you aspire to those titled positions, then then go for it. But uh, but it's not everybody, and I think what uh, people need to appreciate is that uh, leadership isn't about a label; uh, it's about the choices that we make, and and you can be a leader from any position in your family, in your community, in in broader society, and. You know, I, I see people every day who are weighing up information and making decisions that have financial implications, where there's a cost and a benefit, uh, where it will impact on somebody else's life. And that's equally as important uh, whether you're, you're carrying a label or a title than, than whether you're not. I don't know, if we've got some time, perhaps I could just share a, share a story uh, when yeah, sure. yeah. when uh, my husband and I finished up in South Africa, we came back to, to Noosa and he bought a, uh, a management rights business uh, at an accommodation complex and I was helping him one day by sweeping the front driveway. And then this car pulled up with a family all ready to check in and, uh, and I looked in the window and the driver was Darren Lehman, the former coach of the Australian cricket team. And I looked at him and I thought, you know, 
the first time I had greeted Darren Lehman was off the Qantas flight with the rest of the Australian cricket team in South Africa. They'd come back to the official residence. We had one of those cocktail receptions. Uh, we'd made lots of nice uh, nice speeches about one another. And, uh, and here I was greeting him again a second time, but uh, this time with a broom in my hand. And I thought, hmm, how, how far have I come? And, and I guess, I guess some people would say, well, not very far. And in fact, you've, you've gone backwards. Uh, because no one does call you Your Excellency anymore. And now you, you sweep the driveway. And, and I would argue exactly the opposite that, um, now I'm making different memories and I'm having an impact on different people's lives in different ways. So yeah. since, re- since retiring, you know, I've been a carer for my mum before she passed away. Uh, I'm a member of Red Cross, worked with the girls at the school, volunteer at, at Noosa Care. And, and for me, those contributions are no less valid or valuable just because I no longer have the title of, of High Commissioner. Oh, for sure. And that's the thing, like, I mean, yes, that you were giving your all in relation to what you and your husband were making a go of um, in terms of that position. So, you know, we've all got to pick up a broom or, you know, or or stand on a stage and give a speech. There's, it doesn't matter. You go up and you go down, but it's all, that all becomes that lovely, rich um, tapestry of what your life has been made up of then. So, that's right, and, and imagine if you're just creating the same memories all the time. You know, so for me, it, this is a whole a whole new experience, and you draw on your experience from the past, but uh, you use that then to create a new future. That's right. Yeah. Did he recognise you when he got out <laughs> of the car? Uh, he did after a while. Um, Father <laughs> <laughs> oh, reminded him the last time I'd seen him. <laughs> Um, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, I'm a bit into, um, what do you call it, quotes and whatnot, and there's that saying attributed to Audrey Hepburn and it came up to me after I'd spoken to you initially the other day that as you grow older, you will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself and the other for helping others. So now, Anne, you're contributing to society in a different way. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now with Noosa Care? I really like that uh, that quote from Audrey Hepburn. In fact, I hadn't hadn't heard it uh, before you sent it to me. But the reason I like it is because there's that acknowledgement of uh, doing something for yourself with the one hand. Because mm. uh, I think you know sometimes then, particularly when you're younger and and you're at the height of sort of your professional career, perhaps you you forget to do that and forget the importance of emotional nourishment and and protecting your own mental health so I really like yeah. sort of the the acknowledgement of that and then yes as you say that the other hand being able to to give back and and certainly for me uh, because I, I do feel very privileged I had an excellent education I've had these amazing professional opportunities and now I've got the time and the opportunity to be able to to give that back and the primary way in which I'm doing it now is, is through Noosa Care. And, you know, it's a not-for-profit community organisation that's very focused on guaranteeing uh, dignity and quality of life for older Australians uh, living in our community and particularly those living with dementia. 
Uh, and so, so making sure we create a quality residential experience for the 225 people that call Lucid Care home is something that, that's very important to me and I'm, I'm really proud to be part of it. And if I can give a little bit back and, and share the knowledge as we were talking about before, then, then I'm really happy to do that. I'm just thinking in terms of that, and I didn't ask you this question, but you sitting there, you're there as the president of the board, so you obviously would hear stories that of you know lovely things that are happening, and particularly during COVID nineteen. Is there anything that stands out to you that said maybe is a goosebump type feeling that you think, oh my gosh, this is just amazing to be part of? Well, I think obviously at the height of the crisis, uh, we took a very cautious and conservative approach, as did many aged care facilities in relation to visitors actually coming on site. So how do you uh, ensure that residents don't then feel isolated and unable to communicate with, with loved ones? And I think just some of those, um, some of the experiences with new technologies, shall I say, uh, were, quite, uh, were, were quite abusing but also quite, quite lovely. And, and we, so we obviously used iPads and Skype and Zoom and all of those sorts of things, but um, the residents also at one stage did up these lovely signs where they just sent messages uh, to their loved ones and then we were able to photograph those signs and and email them out to uh, to their family members and that was you know that was pretty special because they really showed us I think what what resilience means uh, yeah. for many of them they've been through through lots of things in their in their life. And, uh, and they approached COVID in the, with the same resilience, the same stoicism, and, uh, and to sort of see the way they coped with it was, was admirable. It was, it was really amazing. Yeah, and you did mention that's, that's what made it come to mind. You said that someone said at the AGM about it, the, the sense of community and new family. That, is it, was it a resident or someone's um, partner that said that? No, someone, someone's partner whose uh, spouse had just uh, joined us at, at Karamar in uh, Cartwright Lodge, which is uh, for people living with dementia. And obviously it's an incredibly stressful time if you have to um, put your family member into uh, a different sort of environment. And uh, I think uh, it was just such a lovely comment for him to make because he participated in that AGM and uh, at the end of it, he, yeah, he felt that he'd found a new family, found found a new community to be part of and was very complimentary about the care that his wife was receiving. But I think the thing that, that I found special was the fact that he felt able to to relate and to connect and, and be part of the Musa Care family. Yeah, because I think that's the thing. A lot, a lot of the time we, we talk about aged care in terms of how the people will feel about actually being moved into aged care, but it's actually that person that's now him at home for the first time without his wife in the home um, and without maybe some of that pressure too of obviously doing what he was trying to attempt to do. But he's now alone living in his own house, isn't he? So it's nice oh, for him to have that connection. It's, it's a huge challenge. And, of course, at, at a time like uh, we're in now with, with COVID where where transitions are not as easy as they've been in the past, where where sometimes the arrangements are a little bit more um, strict, then then I think that transition is even more more difficult. But we try to make Noosa Care a family 
home place. I mean, most people want to spend their final years at home. We absolutely understand that and, and that is what we should be focusing on as a, as a society in my view. But um, there is still a requirement or a need for residential aged care facilities and but you want to make them as as comfortable and as home-like and uh, and as, as like uh, the environment from which you've come uh, as you can. Mm. And that's probably the beauty about the two locations you have is, you know, there's been, they've been around for quite a while, but, you know, they definitely have that sense of the environment and, you know, the outdoor space um, where you are situated. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we, our model is to have uh, lodge-like living, so uh, villas with, with eight uh, residents in each rather than sort of multi-storey uh, large uh, large complexes. And, yes, we're very lucky with the natural landscape uh, where people can uh, walk in the gardens and, and particularly people living with dementia. There's a lot of research about the value of the natural environment in terms of stimulating memories, uh, creating a calmness, uh, and so for us, yeah, I mean, we're, we're lucky, but we, we also put a lot of effort into, into ensuring that that's part of what we offer at Nursey Care. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, you know what? We actually are at half an hour. How did that happen? Oh. <laughs> I told you to go quick. So just before we wrap up, you always ask, you know, have you got a favourite mantra or affirmation or quote that gets you through hard times? I do, and it's it's a quote that sits in a frame uh, next to my bed, and uh, my dad gave it to me in that frame when I was about twelve, and I've kept it with me uh, all that time, and it's attributable to uh, Calvin Coolidge, who was uh, U.S. president uh, in the in the twenties, and it reads, "Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence." Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. You can tell it's a quote from the 20s. Um, genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. And I loved it when I was younger because it had that big word omnipotent in it and I had no idea what that what that was but uh but I love it now because yeah for me it's just about giving giving it a go and sometimes things don't turn out the way you plan or uh they go in a different direction uh but you just got to keep keep having a go at it yeah wow what a beautiful quote to be handed when you're only 12 years old yeah <laughs> well <laughs> Sorry, I know, I know we're out of time, but let me tell you why he gave it to me. So I was swimming in the uh, regional uh, swimming championships and uh, in breaststroke, and I did this time, and it was exactly the same time as another girl uh, in a different heat. And of course, only eight people can go through to the to the final, and so there were the two of us with exactly the same time, the eight fastest time. So the way the officials uh, worked out who would go through the final was they tossed a coin, and I I lost, so I didn't swim in swim in the final. Well, I was inconsolable, you know, crying my eyes out, all the rest of it, 
And uh, and Dad gave me that quote, and he, he basically just said, "Well, A, you still have to go swimming training, but uh, but B, the moral of the story is, well, you just you just back it right up. You know, you you come back next next time, and you and you swim the seventh fastest time or the first fastest time. Uh, and it's been a very inspirational thing for me over my yeah. over my career. That's lovely. That's lovely. So, um, what song would be your favourite sing out loud song? <laughs> um, I would say "These Days" by Poundfinger. Uh, okay. It's got this great line in there. These days turned out nothing like I had planned. I mean, it's a great sort of beat song, but but I also really like the the lyrics of it as well too, because uh, while I I like the idea of goal setting and uh, and having a sense of the direction that your life will take. I think it's also important to recognise that uh, things often don't turn out the way you planned uh, and you need to be flexible and adaptable and resilient because the way in which you cope with challenges or, or things that aren't going according to plan is actually what will, will define you. So if I think I was always going to be a journalist. I ended up being a diplomat. Like everybody, I thought I would marry young and and have kids. I married later in life and wasn't fortunate enough to be able to have children. I was a high-flying Australian diplomat. Now I volunteer in my local community. Not not quite what I had planned, but certainly no, no regrets about it. And I think that's why I love that song and I sing it out loud because Sometimes things don't turn out the way you plan and you just have to roll with that. Yeah, and it's just that map. Your map sort of unrolls in front of you, doesn't it, that you just, you know, you might have to go left or right and how's that going to turn out for you? That's right. And and you can sort of make a plan that you're going to go left and, and if you can go left, great, do it. But sometimes you might have to go the other way and then how you cope with that, that's who you become. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's lovely. So I think Megan and you would not be um, safe in a convertible because both of you like Powderfinger very loud, <laughs> if you know Megan. So if, if I hear Powderfinger blaring, I'll know it's you two coming past from Caramar to, <laughs> to, to get a coffee at Tawantan. <laughs> Excellent. I, di- I didn't know she said Powderfinger, so I'll, uh, I'll follow that up with her. Yeah, no, she said it's from the time she leaves the, the facility all the way home. It's Powderfinger, so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they just they they've got a great rock beat, let alone uh, the lyrics, but also I find very um very inspiring. Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you, Anne. Just once again, it's been a pleasure having you share your story, and that was just so easy as always. To all the everyone I've had come on, it's just you're all just amazing women. You just like. I, I really appreciate you. You've had this time today, and even though we had a technical glitch earlier, we got through. Yeah, no, it, it, sorry, I'm, I really didn't mean to muck you around this morning. Usually I'm, I'm quite good with technology, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it was lovely chatting to you. And, and you sort of, you know, you asked me to choose questions that uh, would make me reflect a little bit and, uh, and I found it a really interesting exercise, particularly that quote, uh, you know, why do I like that quote and, uh I told my husband that that story about the swimming for the first time. I'd never, never sort of actually told him that. But uh, so no, I appreciate the um, well, just the opportunity to do some contemplation and some reflection. 
Yeah, I think it's something that we don't really spend much time on for ourselves. I mean, we do try to say journal or whatever, but it was just, it was actually nice now that as I'm sort of moving through this podcast series, I'm getting to understand a person first and then go, oh, what would I like to actually explore and see? And it's interesting always to see what questions people choose and what questions they don't choose. Um, So I'll have you back another time so you can choose the other questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There were a few there where I was like, no, don't want to do that one. No. <laughs> it's only so much time. But in a way, actually, that's, you know, why, why don't I want to do it? And uh, and so, yeah, to sort of reflect on that is also an interesting, an interesting thing as well. I think so. So um, to me, I just wanted to say, as I said, I've said thank you and this will go, um, well, obviously this will be this week's episode yeah. um, and I'll publish it tonight. So I just also want to thank the listeners for joining us today and maybe have a think about what are your key takeaways you got from Anne's episode today, maybe even something you can relate to. Now, and I'd love to hear there's apparently a comments um, point in anchor.fm where I where I publish it up front. Um, but to me, it's about stories shared are better than stories stashed away. And, you know, we grow and develop through storytelling. And I see every day that stories shared are an important part of the process of transforming hearts as well as minds. Um, so just keep growing and developing until next episode. And I really appreciate everyone's time in um, taking the opportunity to listen today. So thank you, Anne, and thank you, everyone else, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.